Thanks so much, praise team. We appreciate hearing you. You know, it's funny, I sat there thinking, we talked in our study questions today about what things we're afraid of. And I realized standing down here singing with this microphone on, I was really afraid that you were going to hear my voice, not theirs. So everybody's in their right place right now. Just trust me on that. My name is Amy Foster. It's just my great privilege to be a part of Women in the Word with you and be on your teaching team. So thanks for being here with us and studying Psalm 112 with us today. If you're um, watching us from the West Campus, a special welcome to you also. We're glad to do this with you. You know, the psalm we studied today is really a song of meditation. It's about remembering and rehearsing God's blessings in our lives. And it made me think about traditions and the things that we do over and over and over again. My family uh, practiced a little tradition last week. We have our own Valentine tradition. Um, I stay up late and set a, a pretty elaborate Valentine table for my family. And we have a big, huge Valentine breakfast every year. And uh, over the years, we've eaten our share of heart-shaped waffles and heart-shaped bagels and heart-shaped scrambled eggs. And as the kids have gotten bigger, we've had to do less heart-shaped food. But I've been collecting red and white dishes and pink glassware, and I have little crystal hearts I hang from the chandelier. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, how lovely. Your daughters probably probably really enjoy that. Um, But here's the story for you. I've got boys. Um, They're... No girls at my house. I've got boys who don't care about pretty pink dishes. I've got boys whose rooms smell like old, dirty socks. And I've got boys who don't care if they're eating off a heart-shaped plate or a wrapper or a dirty hand or a kitchen counter. That's my world. But here's the interesting thing. On Valentine's morning, they care what they're eating from. Um, a few years ago, I was kind of reevaluating and thinking, maybe I need to find a new Valentine tradition. Maybe this isn't a good way to express my love for them. And my firstborn had just gone to college. And days before Valentine's, we were talking on the phone. And he said, so, will you have the Valentine breakfast without me? <laughs> and I said, yes. And there was a pause. And then there was a, I'm going to miss that. So, uh, repeating things, traditions, memories, remembrance, they're important. They're important, whether we're boys, whether we're girls, um, whatever our uh, things are that we repeat, they matter because we're people of remembrance, aren't we? And we're so easily consumed with the moment and the here and the now that we have to stop and we have to reflect and we have to remember who we are and who is God and what is good in our lives. And God tells us he likes it when we remember. I thought about this because really this is a wisdom psalm, and that means it's a psalm that's providing instruction for our lives, how to live with wisdom in the world. But it's also written in a style that's called an acrostic, and some of you may remember this from your school days. An acrostic means each line coincides with the letters of the alphabet. So in this poem, in the original language, we've got 22 lines written coinciding with the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So why would we write that way? A lot of people think we write acrostics because they're easy to memorize. They're easy to memorize, and then we can recall them and we can repeat them over and over and over again as easily as you can say the ABCs. 
The same way we repeat our traditions, we can repeat and remember God's blessings in our lives. So think about it. We keep baby books and family albums and home movies. We have our favorite stories we like to tell and retell over and over and over again. Just last week when Lynn was teaching, she talked about the fact that the children of Israel had retold the story of God rescuing them out of Egypt and taking them across the sea and freeing them from the Egyptians. Psalms 112 begins with praise for God because he is a God who blesses his people. And then all through the psalm, it describes the blessings that we receive as God's believers. And it's given to us as as a prayer. And so I think it's always important when we're looking at the psalms to stop and remember this is a prayer. That means these are words I can pray to God. But this is really a different kind of a prayer than what we've looked at so far, isn't it? It's not a lamentation. There's not some huge disaster and the person isn't begging God to deliver them. It's not a confession. No great sin has been committed. They're not begging or pleading for forgiveness. It's not like any of those prayers. It's a prayer that you could commit to memory and pray over and over and over again because it's just a rehearsal over and over of God's blessings. And I thought, okay, why does God tell us we need to pray that way? Why do we need to pray pray these prayers of remembrance? And I thought, well, some things are pretty simple. We are people of remembrance. We like to collect our memories. And when they're happy memories, we like to relive them when they're blessings. And so when we think about why we pray prayers of remembrance, we have to consider, A, they inspire us don't they? Um, They remind us that we're not alone, just like our traditions remind us we're part of a family. Remembering God's blessings reminds us that we're part of his family. They remind us of God's power and his goodness. And for most of us, they remind us of God's power and his goodness to all of his children. And then they remind us of his personal power and goodness to us. They remind us he's not just a big God out there. He's my big God. And that's an important thing to remember. So this process of remembering and rehearsing the blessings of God, it keeps us focused on the good things so we don't get distracted by all the other immediate things. And in scripture, we call that meditation. Meditation. We don't have to be afraid of meditation. It's not getting in touch with some spooky, crazy power out there. Meditation can be reflecting on the blessings and benefits of God. And meditation, it really conditions our spirit. It opens our soul to be connected to God. It lets the things of God, the work of God, be what occupies our minds. And God says remembering those things serves us very well. I was reminded as I studied this, you know, the great purpose of each of our lives is to know God and to live in this relationship with him where it's just love and joy communicated back and forth. And I thought, isn't this a good way to communicate love and joy back and forth with your God? The same way family members get out the album, the same way you show the little child their baby book and tell them about the day they were born, the same way friends tell the story of how they met and how their friendship grew. That's what we do when we reflect on God's blessing in our lives. I loved last week, Lynn said, when we review our spiritual history with God, we see quickly God is the hero in our story. So when we do this, it's not only good for us, but it blesses God. It blesses God. He loves to hear us repeating the stories of how he has blessed us in our lives. So it's all good. And let's remember as we look at these, that these prayers of remembrance, like every other prayer, they're designed to change us. 
So let's think about how this process of meditating on God and remembering his blessings, how that changes us as we practice it. Psalm 112, go ahead and open your Bible. It begins with the reality that God blesses his people. We're going to stop here on the very first verse. Verse 1, read with me. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. All right, I, I loved right off the bat, it says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, and that shows us some of God's blessings everyone benefits from, but these blessings here are specific. They are for the man who fears the Lord and who delights in his, um, in his commands. Basically, these are blessings for God's true believers. And all through the scriptures, we're encouraged, we're instructed, we're admonished to fear God. Fear God. So I think we need to stop a minute and really think through what does that mean, this fear of God. If you look it up in your dictionary, it's going to say fear is an internal response to power. Okay, it's our internal response to power, and I thought, okay, we tend to be fearful of the things that are more powerful than we are, or sometimes just things that we perceive to be more powerful than we are. If you made a list, you probably had on your list, we're fearful of diseases that can hurt us, we're fearful of weapons that can harm us, we're fearful of natural disasters that we can't stop, we're fearful of pain and suffering in the hearts and minds and lives of people we love. And those are all bad things, aren't they? We do tend to connect our fear to bad things. They're powerful and they're bad. And yet God is all good. So this idea of fear of God is a totally different kind of fear that we need to understand. In Luke 150, it's talking about God, and it says his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy is not a bad thing. Mercy is a good thing. And then in Psalm 31:19, it says, How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. So yes, he's a holy, powerful, awesome God, and there should be a fearful response to that. But to those of us who are his and in his family, he's a good God. He's full of goodness and mercy. So this isn't the shaky, quaky kind of fear you would have in front of a person holding a gun to your head or facing a terrible disease or a calamity. It's a totally different kind of fear. It's a holy reverence because we know that he's powerful, but we also know that he is good. So I tried to paraphrase this, and I thought fear of God really is a constant awareness of God's power and his goodness. It's both. Both combined. So a constant awareness with that. And then here in this psalm, we see this parallel line that says, fears God and delights in his commands. Okay, delight. We don't often think delight means the same thing as fear. I looked up delight. It says to derive great pleasure or satisfaction from something. Hmm. And the writer says that's a great parallel to the idea of fear. So we're going to believe that, that God's word is true here. So if we're perfectly happy, perfectly satisfied to do God's commands, that can only happen when we are constantly aware that he is good and he is powerful. So when I think about delighting in God's commands, I thought here's the thing about delight that's pretty consistent. When you delight in something, it really infuses your entire life. And for most of us, the things that we truly delight in, they sort of start consuming us, and they sort of start moving in to all the different parts of our lives. I thought this was described really well in Hebrews 8.10, this idea of God's delight that infuses all of us. It says, I will put my law into their minds, I will write them on their hearts, 
hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then the next verse says, and they shall know me. So it's this constant delight in God that infuses everything and helps you know him better. A constant awareness of him and a constant desire for him because he's all good and he totally satisfies us. So that's kind of where I'm thinking we're starting with in terms of these blessings are for these people. Um, Delight in God is this constant desire for God's way and for God's best, and fear is constant awareness. That's the combination that brings God's richest blessings into our lives. And I thought we really see this uh, described fully. I thought of one of my favorite passages. It's Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. Again, think of this constant awareness and constant delight. And it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. That really is a great description of what it looks like to fear God and to delight in him. So that's where we start in this psalm. It begins with um, this description of who is the person receiving these great blessings. And then it goes on to describe the blessings. And as we look through and we study these blessings, I want you to be aware of two things. There's really two kinds of blessings that are described here. First, it's showing us actual blessings, something you receive directly from God. And second, it's showing you something different. It's showing you... A blessing that is the way you behave in the world. Your actions, your activity, the way you live is actually the blessing. So what we see here is that we will receive blessings and we will also be blessings. And I think that's really important to pay attention that all of it is God's work. All of it is what he's doing in our hearts, in the lives of true believers, okay? So read with me. We're going to start in uh, verse 2. And remember, this is a description of the blessings that come in the lives of true believers. Beginning in verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously in lens, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Okay, those are the first few blessings that are described here. Right away in verse 2 and 3, it's describing a blessing of prosperity. And before we go any further, um, you can turn on your TV and you can find some pastors and teachers who are going to teach a philosophy of prosperity. And that teaching is going to say, God wants you to be financially prosperous. God wants you to have the big house and all the cars in the garage and have a successful business. That's not what this blessing is talking about. And at Christ Chapel Bible Church, we don't think the Bible supports that kind of an idea. So we're going to talk about a different kind of prosperity, a blessing of prosperity. It starts right away by talking about a spiritual legacy, doesn't it? Your offspring. Your offspring, your children. If you haven't naturally born children, this means the generation that comes behind you. And we're all responsible for investing in that generation. And it says that the blessing is that generation, they will also be people who fear the Lord. And they'll be that because you've brought them up that way, because you feared the Lord. You've brought them up in the nurture and the knowledge of God. And that will be both a blessing to you, and that will be a blessing to the world. So that's the first part of prosperity that we see there. And then the next verse, we see this 
somewhat tricky language. It says wealth and riches are in his house. And again, if we wanted to take a prosperity gospel approach here, we would assume that meant literal wealth and riches. But we look around us and we know we're not all wealthy and rich. (laughs) So I consulted with the Bible scholars here, and here's what most of them say. Most think this reference is really a reference that is referring to um, the old covenant that God had with the children of Israel. And after he brings them out of Egypt and he gives the law... Um, to Moses and he presents all the details of the law and he makes an agreement with him and he says you obey my laws and I will bless you and you disobey my laws and I will curse you so blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience he'd already made the covenant with them that he was going to bring them into this prosperous land of Israel that he described as a land flowing with milk and honey he'd already told them I'm going to make you a big big prosperous nation but that part of the covenant was really connected to their um, this part was connected to their obedience in Deuteronomy he gives them all the laws and in Deuteronomy 29 9 he says keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do well you know uh, living today we don't live under that same covenant we live under the covenant of grace Um, God looks at us when we place our faith in Jesus as a righteous person. He sees Jesus' righteousness covering us. So we don't live under this agreement that obedience necessarily is going to bring that kind of prosperity in our lives. What we really think this means for us today is this is spiritual prosperity. This is spiritual provision in our lives. Um, God can give us this spiritual uh, prosperity because of what Jesus has done. It's our right standing and our right relationship with God. And we know that that's a prosperity that endures forever. We're going to see the enduring forever expression repeated over and over and over in this psalm. This prosperity can be described the way uh, we read it in 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. It's talking about God. And it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is a phenomenal spiritual prosperity that God offers to us. It's Um, a great description and we even have examples in the Old Testament where God describes the same kind of prosperity it's a spiritual prosperity Uh, some of my favorite verses Psalm 1 1 and 3 and think about this in terms of this is God's definition of prosperity blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on this law he meditates day and night And here comes the description of prosperity. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So we see this description of prosperity. This is a godly man who's bearing godly fruit in his life. And God says that's prosperity. So the first blessings we see right here, the spiritual legacy, spiritual prosperity, spiritual resources, that God is going to give you all you need in this life to bear good fruit. So that's the blessing, and it's both a current blessing and it's an eternal blessing. Then we go on, and verse 4 and 5 describe the next blessing. Um, And it says here, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. That's beautiful language. And the blessing here is hope, hope in dark times, hope in darkness. 
You know, last week, Lynn said, I'm not going to be a popular teacher. I'm going to tell you hard times come. Hard times happen. I'm right there with Lynn. (laughs) What we have to recognize when we read the lines, there will be light in the darkness, is there will be darkness. There will be darkness, and we don't have to live very long to experience that and know that. But for the person whose fear is in God, there will be light. There will be hope in that darkness also. One commentator said it so well. He said, God is good, but life is difficult. The life of faith is lived right here in the middle. That is very true, isn't it? The life, the hope in the darkness, it comes in the middle between those two realities of God's goodness and darkness that occurs in the world. And for those of us who fear the Lord and are living in this constant awareness and constant delight in him, we know darkness will come into our circumstances. But what do we have that offers us hope in darkness? We have the promise that Jesus Christ enters our suffering with us, that we're not alone. We have the promise that the Holy Spirit is present as our comforter and is actually praying, interceding, asking God's will for us. We have the promise that God himself, the creator of heaven, is not asleep. He's watching, he's monitoring it all, he's recording our tears, and he's working it all for good in our lives. That's the hope. That's a blessing that we have in our lives. We have confidence that as surely as the sun is going to come up in the morning and take away the darkness, God is going to offer hope and light in our darkness too. And he's going to do it because he's good and he's gracious and he is full of compassion. But it doesn't stop with this description of light in the darkness there. It goes on to say, the man who fears God in darkness, he's going to look like God. And it describes his behavior right there. It says, gracious, merciful, and righteous. The same way God describes himself, those behaviors will be demonstrated in the lives of this person. And remember, when we talk about these things, those behaviors are demonstrated in dark times. In difficult circumstances, this man is gracious. That means he's full of kindness and he's forgiving. He's merciful. That means compassionate, sympathetic, and helpful. Helpful to others during a dark time when he probably needs help himself. It also says he's righteous. That means he's fully obeying the commands of God. He's demonstrating honorable behavior. That's amazing that God says, I offer you a hope that's going to allow you to act this way in the world when your circumstances are difficult. goes on. The next verse, it describes more godly behavior. He's generous. He lends. He conducts his affairs with justice or fairness or discernment. So not only will light one day shine for the believer, the believer will shine in the darkness of the world. It's a blessing for you, and it's a blessing to the world. Proverbs 4.18 describes it, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. It's one of these blessings that works two ways. It blesses us and it blesses the world. So this opportunity to show grace and mercy and compassion during dark times, it blesses the world because it's a testimony of God's power. Only God can transform a human life so that they can respond with hope and trust and godly characteristics in hard times. And I don't think God ever paints this as a picture of stoicism, of just not feeling and pretending like everything is okay, sort of the stiff upper lip. I don't think that's it at all. I think it's just this steady belief, this steady truth that you can find hope 
that helps you go over the difficulties in the bad times. It's a hope that continues to assist us and to bless us, and it's a hope that glorifies God. Um, In verse 5, he's described as a generous man, and it uses those beautiful words, it is well. It is well with him. Like so many of you, it probably made me think of the beautiful old hymn. We sang it last week, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about the history of that. Most of you probably know this already, but for those of you who don't, it's pretty amazing. That psalm was written in the late 1800s by a man named Horatio Spafford. And um, he was a very successful businessman. He owned a great deal of property in Chicago. The bulk of his property was destroyed in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. And in the few years that followed, more economic disasters kept happening, and he was losing a great deal of his wealth and his success. He had a wife and four children. In the midst of all that, they bought tickets to get on a boat and cross the ocean and go to Europe. Another economic disaster hit, and he needed to stay home and take care of a business. So he put his wife and his four children on that boat. They sailed away. There was a disaster at sea, and the boat sunk. He learned of the disaster when he got a message from his wife with two words, saved alone. So in a very short time, he faced all these financial disasters, and he lost four children at sea. He bought a ticket. He got on a boat to go meet up with his wife, and his biography says that he sat on the deck of that boat, and he looked out at that ocean knowing that his four children, their lives had just been lost, and he wrote the words to this hymn. Just listen to this one verse. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I feel confident he knew this psalm. And we see this process even in his grief. He's going through this meditation, this remembering the blessings of God. And ultimately he says, it is well with my soul. So maintaining hope in darkness, in sorrow, in difficulty, it's a blessing. It's a blessing we receive and it's a blessing we act out because we get to behave like God in the world. We get to demonstrate God's peace and his power in the world. So the interesting thing about dark times, when they come, we always recognize something right away. We recognize, oh, I'm not in control. And then we recognize, oh, I never was in control. (laughs) But the woman who fears God, she knows who's in control. And she knows there's one thing she is controlling, not the events in her life. She's controlling how she will respond. She's controlling how she'll respond. And when you fear God, you can respond with obedience and trust. And you can live with hope and peace in the dark times. And it's a blessing. Goodness displayed in your life is another blessing from God. So all of that good behavior, mercy, grace, compassion, righteousness, displaying those things is a blessing from God. And you get to be the blessing. All right, verse 6 goes on, and it describes this righteous man, a righteous woman. It says he will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I hope as you read through the Psalms, you identified all these words that suggest permanence and stability. Never be moved, remembered forever. This is describing eternal blessings, eternal blessings that cannot be lost, that circumstances here cannot change, that powerful men cannot undo. This is eternal favor with God and nothing can diminish it. 
And we'll see that all through this. We'll see um, references to just honor and remembrance. Honor and remembrance is a great blessing from God. And that means a good reputation with God. And it means a good reputation in the world. It's obvious when someone lives in this world as a good steward. When they live with wisdom. When they live in a way that demonstrates God's goodness like this. You know, I was listening to a, a lecture recently. And it was talking about the reality that in America we live really in a post Christian culture, meaning Christianity is not necessarily respected or admired or encouraged anymore. And he was interviewing a particular man who lived on the the eastern coast, and the man was describing Christianity with pretty powerful expletives, and he was describing Christians with expletives, and then he stopped and he said, but, this man who's describing Christians badly, but after Hurricane Sandy, it was the Christians who showed up. That is such a good reputation of living with honor in the world and living with a good reputation among men, even men who do not respect or admire your God or your religion or your faith. And God says that it's permanent and it's enduring. So that's a great blessing of God. Let's pick back up in verse 7. Again, describing the blessings of God. It says, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. I think that's such a good picture of total trust and total confidence in God. Trust and confidence, that's the blessing in our lives. That's what we gain from this fear of God. And it uses this great expression, not afraid of bad news. Not afraid of what might happen. That means free of anxiety. Listen to the words that describe his heart there. And this means his emotional state. Firm, steady, not afraid, trusting, fixed, not fickle, not fearful, not cowardly. That's an exciting way to live in this fearful world, in this anxious world, isn't it? Because we know here, circumstances change. They are not fixed and steady, and we know darkness comes. And God says, in all the unchanging, unsteady things, he can bless you with steady trust and steady confidence. I loved, look down at verse 7. It says, he is not afraid. That's the present tense. And look down at verse 8. It says, he will not be afraid. That's the future tense. Okay, that's unwavering trust. That's a trust in God that is available today and in the future and at any point when you need it. It's unchanging trust. So many of the Psalms are written by people who are experiencing fearful circumstances, laments and things like that. And they don't really write about being afraid. They write about this process of learning to put their trust in God and being freed from fear. Just review a little bit. Shelley talked about Psalm 46 just about two weeks ago, and she reminded us that confidence in God means this full trust in the power and the reliability and the trustworthiness of God. And Psalm 46 showed us, says we can do that because He's our shelter, He's our fortress, He's our stronghold. But Shelley reminded us to do this is a choice. It's a choice to choose this kind of trust and confidence in God. I thought it's not this starry little blessing that falls down from heaven and washes over us with a sense of peace. It doesn't happen that way, does it? It's a choice, and it's a choice we make every minute of every day. 
Last week, we looked at Psalm 77, and Lynn shared, you know, the unpopular news that God's way is often taking us through troubled waters, but we can choose to trust him because we know he's in the water with us and because we know he's working all things together, perfecting us and working it for our good. So when we live in this changing world where darkness happens and we live in a way where we know we are frail, God tells us we're frail, we will automatically, because of our frailty, turn to fear in powerful things. Um, but God gives us this great blessing. We don't have to have fear of powerful things. We can have trust in powerful God. Okay, That's our choice. We live with this constant awareness of God's goodness and his power and a constant delight to do the things that please him. And that's how we can choose trust. We have to believe his words. We believe the words of Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. We believe the words of Psalm 121.3, he does not slumber. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you doesn't slumber. And we will remember those things. We're freed from the fear that comes from difficult circumstances. But we have to choose to receive this trust. And it's not always easy, is it? Uh, Years ago, I struggled with this. Um, My work had sent me on a a trip for two weeks, which was unusual to be gone for that long. And in the days uh, before I left town, my mom was getting some pretty disturbing medical news. And we were doing some tests and waiting on some answers. And honestly, the things uh, we were waiting for looked pretty scary. And I hated leaving town at that point. Um, I went out of town, and the first two nights I was there, I remember this just happened to be my Bible reading scheduled for that day with Psalm 112. And my translation began with, Happy is the man who fears the Lord. And then down here it says, He will not fear bad news. And for two nights I kept praying through this psalm and thinking, But I am afraid. But I am afraid, and I am afraid my godly dad is afraid at home. So I called my dad after about two days of that, and I read this psalm, and I think we were both convicted. We were feeling fear. We were absolutely feeling fear. So we both just had to do some soul-searching and figure out what does our faith, what does our confident trust in God look like right now while we're waiting for this news. And here's what I learned. Not fearing does not mean not feeling. Okay? We're going to feel. God says he's given us a heart of flesh. He's given us love for our family members and for our loved ones. He's put us in this frail frame that feels everything intensely. And he's ordered it that way. But he has also given us faith. And he has given us the ability to put our trust and our faith in him. It's a choice we just have to make. In our circumstances, the bad news did come, and it was very bad, and we didn't stop feeling. And the feelings we felt were profound grief and ache and sorrow. And those things didn't go away, but we chose trust, and we chose faith. And I like to think of this as we didn't act like spiritual henny pennies running around, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know, when we do that, we start believing lies about God. We start believing God isn't aware, God isn't loving me enough to change it, God isn't powerful enough, and those things aren't true. We're fearing things that are not true. We need to fear. Fear means being aware that God is good and God is powerful. So that's what this 
confident trust looks like. It doesn't look like stoic, white-knuckled, not feeling. We're going to feel, and we're going to take those hurting feelings, and we're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus, and we're going to let him do whatever he wants with those things. So I just think it's important for us to remember it's a choice. It's a choice every minute, every hour, every day. God gives us faith as a blessing so we can set our hearts completely on God because everything else is changing. What he offers us is this trust that is firm and it's true. It works today. It works tomorrow. It's just a steady, confident trust in God, and it's a blessing. The language says it's so permanent that while we wait, it never goes away, where it says until he looks in triumph there. That means until the battle is over. This is a steady trust from the minute it starts until the minute it's over. It's steady courage in God. It's steady confidence in God. It's steady love and it's steady awareness of God. It's a great blessing. It reminded me of the prophet Habakkuk. Um, You know, Habakkuk lived during the time when Israel had become a great and prosperous nation, but they were terribly disobedient and not honoring God. And he cries out to God and God tells him, I'm going to punish these people and it's going to be fear and awesome and terrible. I'm going to bring an enemy in. They're going to wipe you out. They're going to burn your cities. They're going to take your people off, and you're going to live as captives in Babylon. It was a terrible, terrible, disastrous thing that was coming. And then God did something amazing. He gives Habakkuk a vision, and it's a vision of God's power. It's a vision of God creating the world and moving through the world and rescuing out his people and taking them from Egypt. And because Habakkuk has this vision in his heart and in his mind of God's power, he doesn't panic because disaster is coming. Look on your verse sheet at Habakkuk 3.17 and just note these are his words after God tells him disaster is coming. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. That's what confidence and trust in God looks like, and that is a miraculous and amazing thing. It's a great blessing. The next blessing we see is strength and honor. We've really seen this woven all the way through this psalm when it talks about your good reputation. Um, so even in uns, um, uncertain circumstances, you're dem- you know, the man of God is demonstrating this honorable behavior. Verse 9 says he gives freely, he gives to the poor. Um, he's stretching out a hand and offering strength. It's not his strength, it's God's strength. He's sharing freely provision. It's not his provision. It's God's provision. He's acting like God in the world. And God calls that strength and honor. He's proving his righteousness to the world. And God says it's a righteousness that endures forever. It can't be tarnished and it can't be taken. That expression, his horn is exalted, that means highest honor. Highest honor, strength and honor that comes from God that can never be taken away. You know, I thought, what must that be like to know you have honor from God? And I thought, it's the voice of God. Well done. Well done. Good servant. And we're going to have that blessing for real someday, and that's a great privilege. Now look at the great contrast we see when we get to uh, verse 10. 
This is describing, we have this great description of all the blessings of God, and now we get a little bitty window of the person who isn't receiving the blessings of God, but they look around and they see them. Beginning in verse 10, it says, The wicked man sees it and he is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desires of the wicked will perish. Okay, what an amazing contrast. The man who doesn't fear God and doesn't delight in God, he sees all these blessings in the believer's life, and he is angry. Some translations, instead of anger, it said grieved or filled with anxiety. And remember, the believer does not have anxiety, but this man is filled with anxiety. Um, We see him in anguish, melting away, perishing, being destroyed. We had all those eternal strong words for our blessings, enduring forever. And we have all the opposite right here, perishing and not enduring. Um, I think it's a great way to view this, and it's a, a great reality that those who don't honor God and fear him will still see the blessings of God, and at some point they will be in anguish because they have not received the blessings of God. Because when these blessings flow in our life, God is revealed in the world. That is the truth. The wicked man sees it and he recognizes God's goodness is revealed in us when we act with grace and mercy and compassion and generosity. And God's goodness is revealed to us when we choose faith and when we choose trust, and when we choose confidence. And I can't help but remember, God told the children of Israel, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. And that's exactly what we see happening here. So we have to stop and think, why is this prayer written in this style, in this memory-based style? Why should we rehearse the blessings of God? And it's because we're people of remembrance, and we need to. You know, uh, years ago... I was in a trial, and God did a great thing, and a friend of mine knew I was a gardener, and she said, you need to put a stone of remembrance in your garden. And so I did, and every time I see it, I'm reminded of God's goodness. And you know what? I don't even live in that house anymore, but I took that stone with me because I need to remember. And all through the Old Testament, we see these examples of God does a mighty um, saving act, and they build an altar. They build something so visually they will remember. And what about Jesus instructing his followers, this communion experience? Do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember. God knows we're short-sighted and need the reminders. The reminders feed our spirit. And really, something is always feeding our spirit, don't you think? The truth is, whatever we're reminding ourselves of, it's feeding us. Maybe we're remembering worry and fear and all the what-ifs. How's that feeding you? (laughs) Maybe we're remembering thoughts of material things and material comfort and our plans to acquire those. How's that feed you? Or maybe we're remembering anger that's continually fueled as we review offenses over and over and over again. Whatever it is we replay and rehearse in our minds, it feeds us, and we need to be fed by remembering the goodness of God. I'm not a golfer, but I'm married to one. One of my boys is learning to play golf, and here's, here's what I've learned. You have to practice your swing over and over and over again. And the golf swing is a hard thing because your feet have to be placed just so, and your knees have to be lined up over your feet just so, and I'm not quite sure what your hips have to do, but they do something. And then as you move your elbows and your shoulders, you have to know where everything is supposed to be. And golfers practice that, thinking about all those different things over and over and over again until one day a magical thing happens happens and they tell me it's called muscle memory 
One day you don't have to be thinking about your knees and your hips and your elbows and your shoulders because your body's learned how to do this together and your muscles remember. That's beautiful. But a good golfer will always go back and keep lining up his feet and his knees and his hips and he'll keep practicing that swing to keep muscle memory in place. We need spiritual memory, just like the golfer needs muscle memory. We all need it because we're fragile and we're forgetful. So that's why we pray these prayers of remembrance. We ponder, we remember, we make our list of what God has done, and we remember that he's been the hero in our story. I thought through the benefits that come to us from this, you know, how this is so helpful in our lives. It reminds us that we have a relationship with a good and a powerful God. Um, And if we're not part of his family, we should be terrified and afraid of him, but we're part of his family. He knows us and his plans for us are good. So we don't have to be so terrified by his power because we also experience his goodness. And that's what we are reminded of. We don't have to worry that we're afraid because we know that we're his and we're his forever. These prayers of remembrance, they also help us desire the things of God. They keep the blessings of God always at the forefront of our minds so we're not tempted to chase after other things and think they look better. So we're not tempted to envy the wicked or to forget the Lord. Um, You know, we are short-sighted and we need this. We've talked all along about this process of praying is about changing us. This is what changes us. When we keep these thoughts of God in the front of our minds, we are more inclined to think the way God thinks, to want the things God wants, to desire the things God wants. This is part of the process that changes us. And lastly, if we want our lives to be this constant expression of love and joy, this constant communion and love relationship with God, what a good thing for us to do. This is no different than reading the love letters over and over and over again, retelling the family history, the beautiful stories. It's just deepening our communion and our intimacy with God, and it pleases God. So it's a beautiful cycle. If you look at this psalm from beginning to end, here's what you see. It begins with fearing God by being constantly aware of him and constantly delighting in him. As a result, you get all these blessings. They cover your life. When you remember the blessings, when you rehearse the blessings, you know what happens to your fear of God, to your awareness of God, to your delight in God? It goes up and it just keeps the cycle going. So let's be women of remembrance. Let's pray. God, you are powerful and mighty and holy, and you are also gracious and merciful and kind. And we want to be women who put our trust fully in you. Uh, We want to rely on you every day. We want to not be afraid of changing things that happen in the world. We want to receive your blessings, and we want to be your blessings, Lord. So remind us of your word. Remind us of your acts. Remind us of your heart and your deeds so that we can choose confidence and trust in you so that we can not only receive your blessings, Lord, but that we can be your blessing in the world. We want to live in a way that makes you look so good, Lord. This is our hope, and this is our prayer, and we ask that you would equip us to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.